If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. If you're a Christian, you're no doubt living in great anticipation of Christ's return. But do you wonder what you ought to be doing until then? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah turns to the Gospels, where Jesus told two well-known parables that deal with that issue. Are you ready for your marching orders? To introduce today's special message, Do Business Until I Come, here's David. Hey, thank you for joining us. Uh, This final broadcast of the month of October takes us later into the Olivet Discourse of our Lord. And uh, here he is going to give us some marching orders. Here's the way it's presented in the Bible. Occupy till I come. In other words, don't sit on your hands. Don't put on a white sheet and go sit on the fence. Don't climb up on a tree so you can get nearer. But do the work of God. And what is that? The work of the gospel. It's going into all the world with the gospel, taking the message of Jesus Christ to every corner where it can be heard. Jesus said, as you wait for my return, this is no time for you to be inactive, but you're to do business till I come. What a great message, and we'll get to it in just a moment. It's from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. I hope you'll find your place in the Bible and join us there. Today's the last day for the book offer that comes in October of every year. This year, the book that was released on the 4th of October was The World of the End, and it is the presentation of the Sermon on the Mount that is recorded in Matthew 24, where Jesus sat down with Peter, James, John, and Andrew on the Tuesday before his crucifixion and answered their questions about the future. Those answers are in the Bible. We have written a book about what Jesus said and and um, apply those truths to what's happening in our world today. Very important instruction. I hope you will use this last day of the month to order your copy of The World of the End. Here's what you do. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point today and simply ask for the book. That's all you have to do. It doesn't matter what size your gift is. You do the best you can. We will accept what you send as from the Lord, and we will send you this book by return mail. Make sure you ask for it when you send your gift today. Well, here we go. This is Do Business Until I Come. The title of my message today is Do Business Till I Come. In the older translations, the old King James, the word do business was translated by the word occupy. Occupy till I come. I have to tell you, when I first heard that growing up as a little boy, that didn't give me the right impression. How many of you know that some people just occupy a seat? They just occupy a house. They just occupy their place at work. That is exactly the opposite of what the Lord Jesus has in mind. The word occupy here is more like the occupation of a land by a military group who are going in to take over the land. But the real translation is the one that we read today. Do business till I come. Say it again. Do business till I come. The story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25 and in Mark chapter 13 
is the story of the talents and it is normally given during a time of stewardship emphasis or when one is teaching the Olivet Discourse. It is such a famous story because it is the story of a landowner or a nobleman who went to a far country and left all of his goods in the hands of a few trusted servants. He did so and in this story gives to us a picture of what the Lord Jesus has done at this particular time. The parable of the talents is interesting to me because the word talent doesn't have anything to do with ability or capacity or capability. The word talent is a financial term. It's a certain amount of money. But the story has been told so often over the years and over such a wide spectrum of cultures that the word talent has actually come to mean in our vernacular today the ability to do something, although the word itself has nothing to do with that at all. It's interesting to me because it's a wonderful mistake to make that adjustment because our talent is our money, isn't it? How many of you know that your money represents who you are? When you go to work and you get paid and you bring your money home, that money represents the hours that you spent of your life making that money. So the talent, which is coins and the talent, which is ability, maybe there's not that much difference after all. But here in this text, We have a wonderful teaching from the Lord. We should be watching and witnessing and working. What are we supposed to do until Jesus comes back? Let me have you say it with me again. Do business till I come. Say it. Do business till I come. That's the message in this little story. Now, if you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn to Matthew 25, we'll try to keep you up to date with the scriptures where we stray from our text, but we'd like for you to follow along in the scripture In the 14th verse of Matthew 25, we read this word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. The first thing you need to see that is comparable to the message is that there was an uncertain return on the part of the master. Both in this story and in the story in Luke, there was a nobleman or a landowner who had large holdings. He needed to go on a business trip. In fact, in Luke 19, this man went and he bought another kingdom while he was gone. They traveled to and fro doing business. And while the landowner and the nobleman was gone, he had to have someone in charge. And so he brought his servants together and he said, I'm going to give you some money and I want you to manage this for me while I'm gone. Do business till I come. You see, in those days... They had no way of knowing when they might come back. Transportation was very uncertain. There was no way they could know when this man would return. So he went off on a trip and he left his goods in charge of his servants. The uncertain return. Now notice in verse 15 that as he went away, as the Lord has gone back to heaven preparing a place for us, he gave to his servants some unequal responsibilities. We know this story well, but let me just remind you. To one he gave five talents, and to another he gave two, and then to the third he gave one. And some of you are going to say, well, I don't understand that. That doesn't seem fair. Well, I didn't say it was fair. I said it was unequal, but it was fair. He gave to each of his servants that which he knew they were capable of handling. I've written down in my notes that, first of all, he did this according to his own will. His endowment was given to them Because that's what he decided they were capable of. It says it right here in the 15th verse. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. 
and he delivered his goods to them, each of them got what he thought they should have. Some of you say, well, I don't understand why that person's got this ability, that person's got that ability, why you have this ability, someone else. You know what? That's not the issue. God gives to each of us what he chooses for us to have. That not only does away with all pride for those who may have goods, it does away from all feeling sorry for people that don't have any or don't feel like they're very well prepared. Because whatever we have, God has given it to us. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, we read these words. But all these worketh the one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man just as he wills. Why is it that you have the ability you have, the talent you have? Because that's what God gave you. Well, you say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, I don't like what I have. Well, take it up with God. <laughs> take it up with God. He's the one who gave it to you. In other words, whatever we have from Almighty God... We should be thankful for it. Now, one man had five, one man had two, one man had one. And the talents were not only given according to the judgment of the Lord. Notice in the text in verse 15, it says, the giving of the talent to each person had something to do with their capacity. In other words, God gave to each individual the ability, and then he gave them according to their capacity. What would have happened if he'd have given five talents to the two-talent man? He wouldn't have known what to do with it. He wouldn't have had the capacity to manage it. So God gives to every one of us what he knows he can equip us to manage for his sake. Thirdly, the talents were not only dispensed according to the abilities, they were given to fully and completely equip each of the individuals. Now watch this. One man had five talents, one man had two, and one man had one. And you're going to say, well, the five-talent guy, he was a lot more important to God than the two-talent guy or the one-talent. No, he wasn't. Each person was exactly equipped as God wanted him to be. How many of you know you can't get more perfect than a circle? The five-talent person was a complete circle. The two-talent person was a complete circle. The one-talent person was a complete circle. You can't get more complete than complete. There is no positive, comparative, and superlative in complete. It's either complete or it isn't. And God gave to each person exactly what he wanted them to have. So what you have, what God has entrusted to you while he's gone to the far country, he's given you everything he wants you to have. How many of you know that when you were born again and you were born into the family of God, we studied this in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, he gave every one of you a gift. Everyone here who's a Christian has a gift from God. I tell my sons all the time, whatever ability God has given you athletically, that's God's gift to you. But what you do with it is your gift to God. Now you should manage that gift and use it and sharpen it and make it the best it can be. But the gift came from God, didn't it? Whatever you have, God gave it to you. So he gave to these servants some unequal responsibilities. Some people say, well, that isn't right. He should have given them all five. Well, you know, that's why he's God and you're you. God's in charge, isn't he? He knows what he's doing. Now, the next thing you notice is that there's kind of an unusual response on the part of these men. And some of you know this story, but I want you to stay with me. Because the impact of this in terms of the question we've asked is very important. There were basically just two responses. The five talent and the two talent person went out and they doubled their investment. Five talent guy got five more. The two talent guy got two more, right? Isn't that what it says? And then the third guy only had one. He had one talent and he was so afraid that something was going to happen to what he had that he went out in the backyard and he dug a hole in the ground and he put his talent in the hole, covered it up with dirt. And I can see the guy walking around out in the backyard every day, kind of looking at that fresh place in the ground, worried that maybe somebody dug it up during the night. One man did 
one thing and another man did another. And I'm afraid that for many of us, our response to the stewardship God has given us while we wait for his return is far more like the third man than like the first or second. Watch this now. He didn't go waste the money like the unprofitable prodigal son. He didn't lose the money. He didn't use the money for some other purpose. He didn't do anything. He just put it in the ground. And you know the biggest problem we have in the church of Jesus Christ today as we look for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ isn't that God's people are necessarily doing the wrong thing. It's that they're not doing anything. You say, well, pastor, that's kind of harsh. I would suggest we're probably a pretty active bunch of folks serving the Lord. But I would also suggest that there's a great host of people that if someone came up to you and said to you, sir, what is your job serving Almighty God? You would stammer all over the place and be so embarrassed you wouldn't know what to say. If you're not employed for the one who's gone to the far country doing something of a spiritual value, then you're like the unprofitable servant. You've just put it in the ground and hid it. You're not doing the wrong thing. You're just doing nothing. And that is not the response we're to have. What is the message title? Do business till I come. God didn't leave us here just to fold our hands and, and talk to one another and rejoice in all the good things we have. If he didn't have a purpose for us, as soon as we got saved, he would have taken us right then. He's left us here to accomplish his purpose on this earth. Do business till I come. Well, along with the unusual response, there was a unique reward. And you know this. The 25th chapter, verses 21 and 23 are exactly alike. And to the five-talent man, to the two-talent man, the Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of your Lord. Now watch this. Look at verse 21. Do you see it? And look at verse 23. Do you see it? Is there any difference between those two verses? No. One of them's about the five-talent man. One of them's about the two-talent man. They're exactly the same. They both got the same reward, didn't they? The five-talent man didn't get more than the two-talent man. They got exactly the same. You know why? Because the issue isn't quantity. The issue is faithfulness. They were faithful in the discharge of their responsibility. And they got a commendation. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. They got a promotion. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. And they got an invitation. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Do you see that? The unthinkable thing that happened was to the third servant. He buried what he had. Remember, he didn't do anything bad. He just did nothing. He did nothing. And so now he's got to have a report to the Lord. And we read in verse 24 what happened. Then he who had received the one talent came and he said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man. Reaping where you haven't sown, gathering where you have not scattered. And I was afraid. And I wrote down in my notes, the first problem this boy had was he didn't know his master, did he? He didn't know his master. Is that the way the Lord is? Is that the way our Lord is? Is he unkind, unfaithful, unfair? Absolutely not. He's the gracious Lord of the harvest. But this man was managing for a master he had not gotten to know. And he did not understand the heart of this man. And so, since he didn't know him, the second thing is obviously true. He didn't trust him. It's kind of hard to trust people you don't know, isn't it? And so we read in the text, I was afraid And I hid your talent in the ground. Look, this is what is yours. 
Notice what happened to this man. He ended up losing what he had. And he was a sad, sad steward. Well, I want to give you just three thoughts and then we're finished. What kind of business should we be doing? Number one, we should be busy equipping believers. And that is including ourselves. Do you know how many times in the New Testament we are reminded that because of the Lord's coming back, we should be different kinds of people than we are? Notice in 1 John, for instance, what it says. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now watch this. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. What does that say? Friends, if we really believe that we're going to meet the Lord someday and he's coming back, we should be asking God to make us holy and righteous people and we should be encouraging one another toward that goal. If we really believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, one of the things that we're going to be busy about is asking God to make us holy people. How do you get holy? Through the washing of the word of God. That's how you get holy. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? by taking heed thereto according to thy word. That's why we emphasize the word of God in this church. That's how God's people are made holy. Whatever holiness any of us have in our life, it's because God has used his word to clean us up from the inside out, amen? That's what this task is all about. Not only should we be equipping believers, but we should be evangelizing the lost. This is such a clear admonition in the word of God. Let me just show you this passage, just one, and there's about five of them. In Acts chapter one, we read, John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And watch this. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, This sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put under his own authority. They said, Lord, are you going to start the kingdom now? You know what? The disciples weren't all that spiritual, wanting a spiritual kingdom. They just wanted the Romans off their back. That's all they cared about. They wanted the Romans off their back and they wanted the kingdom. They'd read in the Old Testament how great this kingdom was and they wanted the Lord to come and do it now. And they said, are you going to do it now? And he said, it's not up to you to know the times or the seasons, but watch what he did say. But... You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What are we supposed to be doing while we're waiting for him to come back, class? We're supposed to be witnessing. Let me ask a question. How many of you here have an unsaved family member, both in your individual family or in your extended family? Wouldn't that be a good place to start? You say, well, pastor, don't be so naive. Of course, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't answer out loud. This is your own family. When was the last time you prayed for that person? When was the last time you wrote them a note? When was the last time you reached out in some meaningful way to tell them about the Lord Jesus who means so much to you? You see what I'm talking about? What are we supposed to be doing while we're waiting? Do business till I come. Our goal as God's people ought to be so simple. We're on our way to heaven and we want to take as many people with us as we can. Amen. And surely our family members would be at the core of all that. Evangelizing the lost. And then thirdly, and it's kind of encouraging me, we ought to be busy encouraging the church. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but encouraging, that's the word, encouraging one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what? The Church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be about the business of encouraging one another. That's why God has put us together in a group. You know, if we didn't need to be encouraged, if we didn't need to work and encourage one another, we could just all kind of be isolated Christians, you know? But he put us together. Whenever the word saint is found in the Bible, it's always in the plural. It's never in the singular. When we come together, we're to encourage one another. I need your encouragement. You need my encouragement. Listen to me. The world beats us down all week long. You walk out into the environment and the world is not the friend of the Lord. If they persecuted him, don't be confused if the same thing happens to you. So where do you get your encouragement? From the word? Yes. From God? Yes. But you know what? God does some of his best work through people. Have you noticed that? And when you come to church on Sunday, you ought to always come with a word of encouragement for somebody. And you ought to always be willing for someone to have a word of encouragement for you. Our responsibility is to do business till he comes. My friend, if you can't find something to do under these three umbrella truths, you come and see me and I'll help you. There ought not to be unemployed believers. Because the task isn't just to know he's coming back and to wait for his return. The task is to get busy doing something for God. You say, this sounds like a locker room speech. <laughs> well, maybe it is. Because I see far too many God's people sitting on the bench. And you know what I found out? And please forgive me if, if I'm wrong about this. What I found out is people that sit on the bench are the biggest complainers of all. They aren't doing anything and they don't like the way other people are doing it either. The way to get your heart happy, and get back where you're serving God with a heart that's really on fire for the Lord, anticipating the coming of Christ is get busy about the work. Get up every day excited about something God wants you to do. You say, well, pastor, I'm not a preacher. I didn't say that you were. But I am absolutely convinced that there's not a person who's a Christian who doesn't have a job to do for God. And if you're not doing it, I can tell you, you're not a happy camper. <laughs> so find out what it is and get after it. An American pastor was privileged to preach in the Calaba Baptist Church of Bombay, India back in the year that I was born, 1941. The English pastor was a Reverend Stone and that day he baptized an Indian woman at the close of the service. The American encouraged him after the service. He said, congratulations on the baptism of your convert tonight. Oh, said the preacher, she's not my convert. She's Adoniram Judson's convert. Well, he said, that's not possible. Adoniram Judson lived over 100 years ago, more than 1,000 miles away from here in the country of Burma. How could she be Adoniram Judson's convert? Well, he said, that's true, but the woman whom I baptized tonight fell into the company of some women from that city in Burma in which Judson did so much suffering in the last century. You recall how he was in prison, physically harmed, placed on a starvation diet, and in general persecuted almost beyond description. Well, these women are descendants of people who were influenced by the incomparable life and outstanding witness of Adoniram Judson in that city in the last century. And the woman whom I baptized tonight fell into their company as a seamstress. And after a few days, she herself became a believer. So you see, she's Judson's convert. 
over a hundred years ago, more than a thousand miles away, and yet the work of Adoniram Judson was still bearing fruit through the descendants of those who he had led to Christ. That's what it means to do business till he comes. Do business till he comes. Amen. You know, whenever we face difficulty in life, there are always two approaches that I've noticed people take. Some people just sort of give up. They throw their hands up. They just quit trying. They just say, well, what's the use? Other people are emboldened by the problems. I sort of fit into that category. Problems motivate me to know that there's an answer if I keep my trust in God. I read uh, one of my favorite authors recently, uh, Mark Batterson, and he said, there's no limit to what God can do in a person's life if he will stay humble and stay hungry. And that's really what Jesus is teaching us here in this passage of Scripture, that we need to not sit on our hands, but we need to stay hungry and stay humble and go after what God calls us to do. I hope that you are doing that and that you're allowing these circumstances not to be discouraging but motivating, to shine your light brightly because it's the dark night that shines the light the brightest. Have a great day. Walk with the Lord. Uh, We'll have a new series tomorrow when we meet again. I hope you'll join us then. I'm David Jeremiah. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Drop us a note if this ministry is encouraging you. Send it to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., B4L 2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's powerful new book, The World of the End, How Jesus' Prophecy Shapes Our Priorities. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions. Visit davidjeremiah.ca radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we begin the series, A Life Beyond Amazing, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The Bible contains chilling prophecies about the end times, but right alongside is the news that Jesus has overcome the world. In his new book, Dr. David Jeremiah instructs us how to put Jesus' prophetic teaching into practice. And when you support Turning Point this month, Dr. Jeremiah will send you your very own copy. Gifts of $75 or more will receive the World of the End study set, and you'll receive the premium set for gifts over $100. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. Well-known author Gordon MacDonald wrote about living as a servant. He said, You can tell whether you're becoming a servant by how you act when people treat you like one. 
Now that's not to say servants should be treated badly, but that servants must be willing to play a submissive role, something most people don't naturally enjoy. The Apostle Paul wrote these words about being a servant. He wrote, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As Christians, we are to serve one another. We are to live as servants in honor of Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's reasons to serve on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.